I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time listening, or if you have missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Oh, parents, all scripture this week comes from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, sometimes with words changed for clarity as the TDR version, which is the Tyler Don Rosenquist version, meaning, you know, I made it up. Now, let me tell you guys some crazy things that the Bible does. It tells these super embarrassing stories, not only about God's chosen people, the Israelites, but also about the big heroes of the Bible. In fact, the bigger the hero, it seems the worse the stories are. Let me give you a few examples. Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and instead of taking responsibility for his own actions, Adam straight up blamed Eve, even though he knew he was wrong. And when they got kicked out of the garden, you can just imagine how awkward that conversation was. I mean, at least Eve blamed the serpent. Cain killed Abel in what amounts to an epic temper tantrum. Noah drank too much wine and he passed out drunk and naked on the floor of his tent and it did not remain a secret. Abraham was so scared of being killed that he told his wife to lie about him being his wife, which got her kidnapped and married off to someone else. Twice. Isaac and Rebecca messed up their family by having favorite kids. And so did their son Jacob. Joseph was such a spoiled brat that he told his brothers and parents that he had dreams about all of them bowing down to him. Just FYI, guys. Never tell people about those kind of dreams. It does not end well. And, you know, it got him sold into slavery and then thrown into jail. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. You know, other half of that story. And then about half of them did some really really bad things. Plus, they had to watch while their father spent like 20 years crying over Joseph because they said he'd been torn apart by wild animals, which is so not cool. I can't believe nobody broke down and confessed over all that time. Moses killed a bully and ended up having to run out to the desert to hide for 40 years. Aaron, oh, Aaron. Aaron built a golden calf for the children of Israel to worship and party with. Miriam was yelling at Moses because he married a black woman when they were brown-skinned and she got leprosy for a while because of it. You know, racism's not cool, guys. Moses shamed God by making it look like he was getting water out of the rock by himself as though it was magic just because he was ticked off. Like, Like somehow we can get, you know, water out of a rock ourselves, right? Joshua made a covenant with people who had, they really pulled one over on him. They tricked him, and that caused a lot of problems for hundreds of years, and especially right away. Samson, oh, Samson. Samson told a woman how to make him as weak as a baby just because she was nagging him, and he did a whole lot worse than that, too, which we are not going to talk about. And there are so many more examples David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Jonah, James, John, and Peter, and again and again with those three, and especially Peter. Unlike us, though, no one will ever forget the stuff they did because it's written in the most popular book ever written. 
It's like, okay, imagine the worst thing you ever did on a viral YouTube video, and then they show it on the news, but unlike most of that stuff, people are still watching it thousands of years from now. None of us will ever have it that bad. I doubt any of us will actually murder a brother or a sister or try to be God or pass out naked in front of a bunch of people or get anyone kidnapped or make people so angry that they sell us into slavery. We're mostly going to live normal lives and, at worst, someone might videotape something stupid we do and people might laugh at us for a while. And that hurts a lot because, you know, it's super embarrassing, but it never lasts forever. You know, it sometimes feels like our lives are over and we will never recover. But once you get to be my age, you will look back on all the things that you just wanted to die of embarrassment over and they won't hurt anymore. And you might even laugh a bit at some of them, but it hurts really bad while it's happening. Not going to lie. And that's a good reason to be merciful when someone else is getting laughed at because we shouldn't want anyone to hurt that badly. We have to be careful with others the way we want them to be careful with us. We never see Jesus laughing at anyone who's in trouble. He helps them. But the people who hurt and killed Jesus, oh yeah, they made fun of him and were just horrible. He still forgave them. Sometimes when there is something embarrassing like that, it seems like we will never feel good again. And for a while we don't. But I want you to know that it doesn't last forever. There are people who are just mean and cruel, and they might never want you to forget. And there's nothing you can do about people like that. But I will tell you a secret. They have done embarrassing and bad things too, and they do not want people to know what they are. Sometimes they deal with their pain by trying to make other people look even worse. So the people who are making you miserable, they have horrible, embarrassing secrets too. Ones they would never want anyone to know about. I know this because I was bullied really badly from the time I was little until I graduated from high school. And after high school, I found out a lot about the lives of the people who were hurting me, and I wouldn't trade places with most of them. My problems were bad enough. Even though I thought their lives were perfect, they absolutely weren't. In fact, some of their stuff was so much more embarrassing than mine that I could hardly believe it. Everyone has their pain, but we must not make other people hurt worse than they already do. Now, the story of your life, including all those embarrassing things, is called your history, okay? It's everything that's happened in our past, and not only our own stuff, but also the stories of our families and friends as well. Your history is everything that's ever happened to you, everything you have ever been a part of or experienced. And not only that, but you have a family history, and that's everything that ever happened to your ancestors, which is your grandparents, your great-grandparents, etc., all the way back to the beginning of time. Family histories can be so messy. Actually, they all are messy. You know people like to get those DNA tests done, right? Well, I've never done it, but my parents did. Well, evidently, the family legend on my mother's side that we had a Crow Indian great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was total bupkis. But... People go looking for interesting relatives, not the embarrassing ones. So I know that my grandmother's cousin, Honus Wagner, won the World Series for the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1909. His baseball card is the most valuable sports card on the planet. 
It's worth over $6 million if it's in pristine condition. What I don't know about is how many horrible people and scoundrels and criminals and all that are in my background because nobody wants to talk about that. Honus is someone to be proud of and we want to forget everyone else. It's kind of funny though because the bad ones are just as much a part of our history as the famous ones and I suppose if we want to claim the good ones, we gotta claim all of them. But like the embarrassing things that we've done and people make fun of us for, our history can also be very embarrassing. I don't like that my ancestors might have owned slaves or might have sailed on slaving ships or might have kidnapped people from Africa or hurt them in other ways. I don't like that even if my ancestors didn't own slaves, that they smoked tobacco and wore cotton harvested by people who were enslaved for life and had no freedom. Maybe my ancestors did terrible things to the Native Americans when we came over to this country. You know, my father's family has been here since before the Revolutionary War, and that's a whole lot of time to be able to do some really terrible things. And America isn't the only place where terrible things were done to people and where bad things are still happening. I want to think of my ancestors as being good and perfect, but I know they were probably every bit as awful as most were. Some were good and some were bad. That's a fact of life. That's our history. When we look at history, we have to understand that we aren't our ancestors. We get to make different choices, just like they had the ability to make different choices from their ancestors. Some had no choices at all, but we usually have a lot more now. I didn't actually do the terrible things my ancestors did or the wonderful things either. They aren't me. That's why I don't need to pretend like they were perfect. I can look at the bad things they did without making excuses or trying to lie to cover it up. I don't need them to be good in order to decide to live my life in a way that God makes God happy now. And to help the people who are suffering now because of what happened in the past. And then I have friends whose ancestors were stolen from Africa and enslaved and beaten and worse. It's hard thinking of your ancestors being hurt like that and even killed and having their loved ones, their, their children and husbands and wives and sisters and brothers sold to someone else and never see them again. It would make you wonder why anyone thought they had that right or how they could have hated people who looked like you enough to be so cruel. And others had their whole tribes wiped out. And the life they lead now is not what they know they could have had if people had just left them alone and had seen them as fellow human beings, made in God's image. When one group decides to hurt another group like that, not only do the survivors lose their relatives, but they also lose their culture, the beautiful things that made them who they were. But it can happen in smaller ways, too, in normal life. You know, I get embarrassed and angry about just having been bullied and made fun of as a child makes me feel helpless and scared sometimes, just like I did them. But I have to tell you something. My history isn't my whole story, and your history isn't your whole story either. It's a big part of your story, but not the biggest. We can't change anything that happened in the past, not to us and not to our ancestors. We can't make it so that the bad things didn't happen, and we can't even take back the things we've said and done. We do have the power to try and make things right, but only now and in the future. 
If we've hurt someone, we can go to them and admit what we did, admit we were wrong, and find out how we can fix some of what we messed up. When we do that, we aren't changing our history, but we are making a better future. And we can't help who we're related to. It's just what it is, right? But there are a lot of terrible people in this world who have done a lot of terrible things. And when they have kids, those kids are just stuck with that family history. But there are wonderful stories of what God can do so that we can be different and we can use what was bad to make things better. I want to tell you a favorite verse of mine, Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 12. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And God said this to people who were suffering for the sins of their ancestors because their ancestors had been just awful. But even with all the terrible things they and their ancestors had done, God still had wonderful plans for them. God wasn't going to remember their past forever. God wanted to give them a future and hope. What does this mean? It means that no matter what your history is or the history of your family, God has plans for good. All you have to do is stick close to him, learn to follow him, and he will take care of the rest. When you become part of God's family, you still have your own family history, but you also gain the history of the family of Abraham told you some of the messed up, terrible things that they did that got written into the Bible, but sometimes we forget that all those terrible things, well, that's Jesus's family history. His relatives did all that nonsense, and they read about it in the synagogues every week, all the terrible things that their ancestors did. And when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the wilderness for repentance, they were repenting of the sins of their ancestors that were responsible for them being oppressed by the Romans. The Romans were only there in the first place because their leaders had been so corrupt. Jews killing other Jews over the silliest things. It must have been terribly embarrassing to think of what their ancestors had done to bring such terrible consequences into their lives. And not just once, but over and over again. To them, reading the Bible was personal. And even their greatest heroes could be real goats. Really, it was a wonderful gift to them from God. We should have a balanced look at our ancestors. We can't afford to pride ourselves in being related to them to the point where we have this need to pretend like they couldn't be total skunks. But that's what a lot of people do. And actually, that's what some Jewish scholars began to do during medieval times. They started coming up for excuses for why the horrible things Bible heroes did were actually okay, and especially King David. And that's a big problem. We have to accept the past as it was, even when it makes us happy or uncomfortable or embarrassed. And we can learn to do that when we realize that when we become a part of God's family, that we inherited the family history of the Bible. All that mess! Now it's our family history, and it's all written down for everyone to see. We don't have to be Jewish for Abraham's family to be our family. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said? And if you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's children, heirs according to the promise. And that's Galatians 3.29, and that's the TDR version, <laughs> where I make substitutions. In fact, Paul said that everyone who believes is adopted into the family of God. He also calls that being grafted in, like 
when a branch from one tree becomes part of another tree. That's actually, I'm going to post a video of that so you guys understand that. Did you know that my twin sons are adopted? My husband Mark and I grafted them into our family because we wanted them to be our sons more than anything in the world. They're grown-ups now, but adopting them was the happiest day of my life. When I held them on the day they were born, I felt like my heart was going to just explode with love, and I have devoted every day since then to loving them and looking out for them. And when Mark and I die, they will be our heirs, which means they will get everything that we have. Now, Paul says that the same is true with God in us. We are his adopted children, and that means he wanted us. He chose us. We weren't unplanned or a mistake or an accident, and we most especially weren't unwanted. Jesus said that when God wants us, he draws us to himself. Like when I open a can of wet food or shake the treat box and my cats come a-running. I want to give them good things because I love them and care for them, and they know what the good stuff is. God is the good stuff, and he wants us to know it and experience how wonderful he is. Now, that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen because... People can do really bad things, but it means that when bad stuff happens, we're not alone. You know, God doesn't control us because he loves us too much to make us into robots or puppets. And so sometimes we do bad things too, but because we're not alone, it means that he's helping us even when we don't know it or think we can feel it. Isn't that amazing? God loves you so much that even though he wants us to do what is right, he doesn't take us over and force us. Instead, he teaches us and comforts us and guides us, just like a parent. And God is the ultimate parent. Another word we could use instead of adopted or grafted in is converted or saved. When we follow Jesus, we get a new identity. We aren't just us anymore. We're part of the family of God all over the world, and Jesus' history becomes our history. His father becomes our father, and if you ever want to know what God is like, just look at the things Jesus did to love and help and save people. Our history is still there. Everything we've ever done or has done to us still happened, and it matters. Our history matters, okay? But our identity is who we are now in God's kingdom. Before you know Jesus, you may be a hockey player, a violinist, or a painter, or a comic book collector, and that's what people may think of when they talk about you, and those things are fine. But they aren't the most important things about you. You are adopted into God's family. You are his child. You are a follower of his Messiah, Jesus. You are a child of light. You are a member of a royal priesthood of believers because wherever you go, you are bringing God into the world. No matter how famous you become or how quietly you live, your identity is all about God's family. The rest is on the side because it talks about what you do, not who you are. Imagine being a child of the president or a sports star or an actor. You'd want everyone to know, and you'd probably be pretty proud of it because people would think it was pretty cool. But having the creator of the whole universe is way cooler. It means you were chosen by the best of the best, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When you think of yourself, I want you to understand that God didn't have to choose you, but he did. No matter what your history is, God wanted you. 
Your history is not your whole story. A good example of this is Paul. When Jesus blinded him and spoke to him, Paul didn't stop being Jewish or a Pharisee or a Roman citizen or a tent maker or the guy who had hunted down Jesus' followers and put them in jail. Yikes. But he became a new person on the inside and his identity changed. Now he was a follower of Jesus and he wouldn't ever hunt down anyone again and he spent the rest of his life making a difference and telling everyone he met about Jesus. Who he had been could never change. He had no control over that. But he had control over who he became. He was still Jewish, um, but he was a Jew who was totally devoted to Jesus. He was still a Pharisee, but he was a Pharisee who listened to and obeyed the teachings of Jesus first. He was still a Roman citizen. He used his citizenship in order to preach the gospel because he knew that the Roman Empire wasn't his home that his real citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Everything that was important to Paul became less important than Jesus. And Paul knew that his new identity in Jesus wasn't worth anything unless he lived it out in real life. After all, I can think of myself as a ballerina, but until I get my ballet shoes and a tutu and take lessons to learn how to dance, it isn't real. We are what we actually do and not just what we think about. Paul taught more about our new identity than just about anyone else in the Bible because he changed more than about anyone else. Moses talked a lot about it too. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they stopped being Pharaoh's slaves and became a kingdom of priests, all serving God. And that doesn't mean they were all literally priests working in the tabernacle, but it does mean that they had the responsibility to serve God what does the Bible say about our identity? It says there are no hierarchies, which means, you know, people who are elite on the top of the heap and others who are down at the bottom. It means that I'm not better than you and you are not better than I am. I hope that you grow up to love God more than I do and obey him better, but we are still equally loved by God and equally made in his image. Paul says there is no male or female in Jesus. Now, that means that even though in the world people might act like men are better or smarter or more capable of doing things than women, that in the kingdom of heaven, it isn't like that. It doesn't mean that we stop being girls and boys either. <laughs> it just means that our identity in Jesus is bigger than that. Paul also told us that there was no Jew or Gentile in Jesus. Does that mean that there are no Jews who believe in Jesus? Well, of course not, but it does mean that the Jewish believers in Jesus aren't more important in the kingdom than the non-Jewish believers. God doesn't make any second-class citizens, and Gentiles aren't better than Jews either. We are all his image bearers, showing the world who he is by being exactly who we are, and showing the world what Jesus is like in what we do and how we live. And while we're at it, Paul says that there is no slave or free person either. Did that mean they stopped having slaves right then? Unfortunately not. And in fact, it wasn't until the 18th century that people started seeing that slavery is wrong. It's duh, guys. Paul was telling us that it was wrong to treat people like they are less worthy or less human because of their race, Jew or Gentile, their gender, whether they're men or women, or what family they were born into. We are all equal in Jesus, even though we aren't all the same. 
And you and I are the same, even though we're different. In God's kingdom, it won't matter who you were here, and so I don't think it should matter now either. God created you to be someone who can serve others in his kingdom in a very special and unique way, no matter what your history is, or what you've done, or what's been done to you. Your history isn't your whole story, not by a long shot. God has plans to give you a future and a hope, good plans. You have a new identity, and so I want you to live like you believe you are important to God, because you are. But you also have to allow everyone else to be important, too, because they are also created in his image. That's why in Revelation we have God's name on our foreheads, because we belong to him. You belong to him. I'm praying for you, and I pray that you have a wonderful week, not just reading the Bible, but also thinking about how the history of your life doesn't tell the whole story about who you are and who you will be.